So you're telling me that there's an alternate timeline where I'm not the captain of this ship? All I know is that 10 minutes ago, I was on my ship with my captain, and now I'm here. And everything's changed? Yes. Our scientists have theorized that such a thing could be possible. A far simpler explanation is you've lost your mind. Dodge Carnegie with me, stuck in Canada, is Emily Bowen Marler. Welcome again to Strange New Takes. Today we will be sharing a recap of the third episode of the second season of Strange New Worlds. Tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. Of course, as always, please make sure you're following us on social media and also telling your friends about the podcast. We always appreciate getting strange new listeners from all over the world. And your recommendations to your friends help us in that goal. Also helping us is if you give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider of choice. And, of course, we want to issue a spoiler warning in case you didn't know before you started this episode. This, you know, we spoil all the episodes. We're talking about them as though we have already watched them because we have already watched them. So if you want to watch this time-traveling episode before you hear us talk about it, you might want to go back in time and do that and then join us. All right. Well, today, as Emily mentioned, we are talking about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Not three episodes, just one. It's the third episode of the second season of Strange New Worlds. It first aired on the 29th of June, 2023. It's written by David Reed and directed by Amanda Rowe. The star date is 151.2, which corresponds to 2260. And also some of the events occur in 2022. The future, future. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's the past. Uh, the episode this is the episode summary from Memory Alpha. Oh, it's supposed to be 2022. Oh, that makes sense because they filmed it in 2022. Exactly. I see. I was confused. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Didn't mean yeah. to interrupt. Sorry. <laughs> you didn't notice from the like clearly outdated fashions that they wear? Anyway. <laughs> Lan travels back in time to the 21st century Earth to prevent an attack which will alter humanity's future history and bring her face to face with her own contentious legacy. We always start with our strange new takes. Emily, do you have a strange new take for me? I'm going to give my strange new take about what I thought of last week's episode oh. since I wasn't on the podcast. <laughs> but I just feel that I need to throw out there that I would have given that episode five out of five. I loved it. It made me cry several times. Um, I just found it to be really poignant. In so many different ways. I mean, I think there were obvious allusions to um, the struggle that people who are transgender are experiencing right now, the discrimination that's being uh, thrown their way and the ways they're being targeted. But I think that it spoke to a whole lot. And obviously they named a bunch in the episode. But um, I was hearing people talk about... Um, immigration people who are facing immigration struggles and people who are fleeing war-torn countries and trying to find asylum i mean just so many different ways that um people are targeted and oppressed and um and not given the same rights to you know have access to a good joy-filled life um and so i i just really appreciated that about the episode and so i just wanted to 
throw that out there and just let everyone know that I thought it was a fantastic episode. Um, my strange new take for this episode was there was a part of me as I was watching it, I thought, oh, it's unfortunate that this episode is following last week's episode because I'm just not getting the whole, you know, I, I think I just, I was ready for an episode with like all the people in it. And it just mm. didn't have most of the crew in it. So I was kind of feeling disappointed about that. But I will say the last 10 minutes of the episode saved it for me. So, um, mm. and I haven't quite figured out what I, how I'm going to rate it. We'll kind of see how this conversation goes. But, um, but yeah, I just, I, I, it was, it was interesting because, you know, we finished the episode and I always ask Travis how he likes it. And he's like, well, you know, I, I think. I think I didn't like it, but I did like the last 10 minutes. I said, no, I was feeling the same way. And then we spent the next like 40 minutes talking about the episode. Mm. So clearly, <laughs> clearly there was something, you know, that this episode brought. And isn't that what good Star Trek does? So. Yeah, let's, let's go into that in a minute for sure. I, I would love to talk about that. Um, so my strange new take is that it's interesting how sometimes immigrants perceive patriotism differently than um, uh, native-born citizens. And just because, you know, we've chosen to be here or whichever country we choose to live in. So there's a, there's a sense of being able to kind of um, have some patriotism coming from there. Mm -hmm. Whereas sometimes patriotism is maybe conflated with nationalism and blind loyalty mm -hmm. uh, for some folks. And so they are, they're uncomfortable with it sometimes in some countries. So anyway, I was just reflecting on that a little bit. You uh, know what's interesting about mm -hmm. that? Did you watch The Ready Room? No. So Paul Wesley's uh, parent, I think maybe both his parents, I'm not sure, at least one of his parents immigrated from Poland. I think both of them maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and so he was talking about how he grew up watching Star Trek, the original series, and how he perceived the original series through the eyes of an immigrant, even though I think he was born in the United States, but because mm -hmm. his parents were so newly immigrated, they, um, that he kind of saw it as this, you know, like what, uh, what they viewed America as, you know, and Kirk was this like strong American. And like, that was kind of how the, the lens that it got seen through in his house. And it, anyway, it was just really interesting. So I just wanted yeah. to, you know, yeah, totally. No, I, I, and I think there's a lot to even unpack here. So I'm, I'm intentionally staying away from the detail because I right. think there's just, it gets so complicated so quickly. Oh, sure. All this is, but all I'll just say is that don't be surprised that uh, the immigrants in your life treat patriotism a little bit differently uh, because they have a fundamentally different set of choices that they've made mm -hmm. in relation to their national identity. Mm -hmm. uh, like having a choice, for example. Right. But, um, in terms of this episode, it is uh, Strange New Worlds, I think, is more like the original series than any of us could have probably predicted in that they have these episodes which focus, to your point, only on a couple of characters. They just leave the ship and go off and film like in some setting that already exists, like, you know, the World War II set or, you know, like a city so that they don't have like expensive like costume budgets or like scene budgets or anything. It's all just kind of... And I don't know, maybe maybe getting all those police cars in this episode was actually stupidly expensive. I have no idea. I think they but, did a lot of it with the AR wall. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the car chase was with the AR wall. I think a lot of it was. Exactly. So <laughs> I, the, the, the point is that 
I think this is this is a show that is going very much in the TOS direction of let's just make sci-fi. Let's not make Star Trek. Let's make sci-fi. And I will unabashedly say that I'm here for it just because it's so different. Um, I, I feel like we've got so used to what Star Trek should be, which is like the Voyager, TNG, Enterprise model. Even DS9 felt different. And I think it's good to kind of go back to this for a little bit and like mix that, change the pace a little, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. we'll dig into that in a minute. Um, let's start with one thing, I think, which is Christina Chong's portrayal of Lan so far in the show, which has been... I think by design reserved. La'an is a reserved person who doesn't share a lot about herself. And so it's kind of, she's been a little bit of a single note character. There's been some hints of like changes, like when she's screaming at Una in season one. But we haven't got to really like truly explore the depth of her like emotions. And as a result, also Christina Chong's like acting skill until this Mm -hmm. episode, I thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh no, she was pretty, she was pretty great. Um, and I, I feel like we got some of that last week too. Um, especially in that scene, uh, between she and Nira, um, when, you know, I mean, she, you could tell that she was struggling with, Mm -hmm. um, what she was inherently worried about herself because of her genetic history. Right. Um, even though she wouldn't have been genetically, enhanced or altered but she has ancestors that were and just wondering how much that comes into her and just I like I felt like we got to see more nuance in that episode in that scene I mean um and then obviously there were definitely some scenes um in this episode that were just phenomenal and you know I was realizing so not to jump to the end but to jump to the end um <laughs> the scene when she's crying at the end how often do we see characters in star trek just completely break down like that like we don't that doesn't happen in star trek Ex- the only other person i can think of that i've seen cry almost like that is kira norris um kira's had some had some like um, like crying breaking down kind of scenes before not usually by herself she's usually Burnham uh, like has one to, person. huh? Burnham has, um, yeah. we also, I think we saw, did, was there Stamets? Possibly. I don't know. I just, this felt. There's some, this, you're right. You're right. This though. felt raw in a way that we haven't seen very often in Star Trek, but I was thinking about, uh, Kira and how we've seen that with Kira and, and some similarities between their two characters. Um, you know, both, uh, well, I, I would say small, like they're both kind of like small in stature, but huge presence. Like I think both of them have a very strong presence um, in their scene. Like, you know, I mean, you can just tell they are strong, they're tenacious, they're, um, you know, and they've both come from uh, trauma, like from, tra- from traumatic childhoods. Um, and that has kind of forged who they are um, and and probably has made it so they feel like they can't ever break down. And so how much more powerful it is when we get to see those kinds of characters have those moments when they are able to break down. Um, anyway, I just, I appreciated it. And of course, me, I was, I broke down with her because I'm a sympathetic crier. So I was just sitting on my couch, blabbering <laughs> away, but yeah, blabbering uh, away. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think her character is, is like written to be this person who shares so little 
And so to have her have an opportunity to kind of be isolated from others who are going to judge her and to only be in a situation where she doesn't have to worry about her feelings Mm -hmm. um, being perceived a particular way. And this is a point that's reiterated several times where she talks about how Kirk, the alternate Kirk, doesn't know anything about her or the weight of her name. Um, Mm -hmm. She feels free to be herself. So I think we finally get to see like the real Lon character Mm -hmm. in this, which... To your point from earlier, I think for me, that's what made up for the lack of other characters mm, from our mm-hmm. history in here, um, is that we got to see more of this character who has had a little bit more of like a single note purpose so far. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I th- and I, th- I what what they gave us of La'an, I really appreciated. Um, and so, you know, and I, th- I think she was able to carry the episode. Um, yeah. So, but I, st- you know, I just always, you know, it's the fun hijinks of all the different members of the crew being split up into three or four different groups working towards this common goal. And I was just thinking about how that that's yeah. been like the so while this had the same formula as a lot of the time travel episodes, there were a few, a few things that they did differently. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know that's good. Not to, it doesn't always need to be the exact same formula. I just missed it. <laughs> but, totally, totally. Um, and we'll see how much this becomes the norm versus kind of mm-hmm. more of what you're talking about. We'll have to see like how they, cause last episode was an ensemble episode. Um, the first episode was also a bit more of an ensemble episode, mm-hmm. although with a little bit more of a focus. So the other thing I'll mention here is that we found out last week through some press or some tweets or something that Anson Mount had a child, right? Last year. And so he's in less of this series season than maybe you would expect a captain anchoring a show to be. And so it kind of explains uh, the choice to immediately cut away from Pike's enterprise to like Mm -hmm. Kirk's enterprise and get Kirk in here. Like I I thought it worked well, but it's also like you can kind of see some of the things that they've had to do in response to not having Anson Mount as much. Right, right. And also, I think it's kind of like someone else was commenting on a on a forum I was on. Um, that's That also says something good about the production, that they're willing to give the captain, you know, who's the number one on the call sheet, the space to be with his family, you know, after the birth yeah. of his child. So that's kind of cool, too. Totally. So I have I have a question for you about Paul Wesley's Kirk. Last time he was on this show at the end of season one, all of us were like, I don't know if I see it. Right. And someone actually made a really good point to me the other day where they said like a lot of what we think of as Kirk is actually like parodies of Kirk. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's not even, like, William Shatner's actual Kirk. It's, right. like, the parody versions that we remember. And so when we see a more realistic version of Kirk, we don't... That's closer to what Kirk was in the original series. We don't right. recognize it. Well, and, and, you know, he's not even the womanizer that everyone talks about Kirk being. If you go through and watch the whole series, yes, he does it sometimes, but it's not... It isn't the way it gets portrayed outside of the show. You know, third season, maybe a little more, but... You know, like he, it's not, yeah. it is not as, it's not like a different woman every week kind of thing, which is how it's kind of talked about. And, you know, like are the little Shatnerisms that people like to pull out and say, that's what Kirk is. He doesn't do that all the time. He's a little more subtle than, um, than, than we would think if you hadn't actually watched all of the original series. <clears throat> yeah. 
And what, so, so in terms of Paul Wesley's Kirk, I'm still not sure I'm seeing like Kirk on the screen, but I'm seeing, I think, a good character who mm-hmm. I enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. So like with, with the Kirk from the 2009 movies, I got more of a sense of like, this is, this is Captain Kirk. Right. And that's okay. I, I think where I'm landing though is like, as long as it's a compelling character, I don't care. Right. Like, give me something good that makes sense. Like, like don't like if if this guy was like using Shatnerisms every five minutes, I, that would annoy me more because it wouldn't make sense. Right. Right. I mean, I felt like he has so like the way he's sitting in the chair um, when Laon first goes onto the bridge. That felt very Kirk esque. Like there, was, he had some certain body language that kind of was like you could see he was trying to uh, tap into that a little bit. But I also, we haven't actually, except apart from the last scene in the in um, the episode, we've never actually seen in-universe Kirk, right? We have never seen, like, like the Kirk that we mm-hmm. know. It's always been alter- alternate timelines that we've seen. Um, and he's also, it's like, I mean, like, when you hear interviews with Paul Wesley, he talks about, like, he doesn't want to be Kirk level 10 because he's he's playing Kirk level three. Like it's Lieutenant Kirk. He hasn't yet come or arrived at the place where we know him in the original series. Um, so maybe there can be little things sprinkled through there. But if you give it already right at what he's like in the original series, there's no room for growth or no room for, you know, playing anything. But I also I know a lot of people are like, well, why do you even need to have Kirk? Um, be this character with Laon. It could have just been any other person. You know, it didn't have to be Kirk in this episode. I personally thought the benefit of it being Kirk is we, at least those of us who are familiar with Star Trek, we come to this episode with a whole lot of knowledge. So when he yeah. says he was born on the USS Iowa, Iowa, we know immediately that there's something different about his past and that, that it's not just... Um, it's not just that it's a different time. Like there's, there's been places where things have diverged. And so I thought actually it was helpful to have a character whose history we know, because when they would say things in the episode, it was, those were clues to us. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, this maybe is where there's a change, or maybe this is where there's been a change. You know, we obviously know that when they're in the car and he says, um, La'an Nunyan, what does he say? He says, Soong instead of Sing. And she's like, Sing, wait, you don't know my last name? And he's like, yeah. what, are you famous or something? You know, I mean, it's like, you're like, oh, okay. Well, there's a place where it diverged. And so those uh-huh. are important things for us to know where another character wouldn't have been able to necessarily give us that in the same way. Well, and also it's like, you know, they're 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 not dealing with this in a, in a problematic way. Like just, I feel like this is one of those things that, it's just like everybody needs to just take a chill pill. It's like the stuff about Spock and Chapel being in love. Like, mm-hmm. it's a different show, people. Like, mm-hmm. I, we all have a different threshold for how much of our canon we can have messed with. It's true, but like, at the end of the day, for me, this is just fun and I'm right. enjoying it a lot. Like, it's like the people who freaked out when they heard. So, Kirk has a line in this episode saying, I'm from space. And that was in the trailer. Uh-huh. And people freaked out about it because they were like, oh, they've clearly messed something up or it's weird or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, no, I mean, it, made, it all makes perfect sense in this right, when you show. Watch the episode. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's let's just really quick catch anybody else. Maybe they're listening a few years from now and they haven't 
watch the episode in a little bit. So Laan finds a time travel. Like we we get an extended cold open of Laan's like uh, desire to like kind of find herself and how she's kind of wary of people's opinion of her. And then she's quickly meets a time traveler who gives her a device. And then the past changes and Laan finds herself on Kirk's Enterprise of the United Earth Fleet vessel. And they have a little tussle and end up back in Toronto. And this is where I think the uh, their ability to only pay these two actors for the, the work that they did and cut the rest of the cast out. No costumes, no sets. It's all like just a little bit of scene work in Toronto where they're filming the show. And then it's like some stuff in the AR wall like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all even the costumes are like mostly just like everyday clothes the normal mm-hmm. people today wear. So definitely a little bit of a smart allocation of budget going mm-hmm. on. And uh, I, but I did enjoy when they first end up in, in Toronto and Kirk's like, this is clearly New York. Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> and Lon's like, no, you don't recognize Canada? <laughs> like, what the heck? <laughs> well, and also because they talk about like how often Toronto has been used as other cities and so it was nice to have Toronto just get to be Toronto. But I also appreciated, so, like, I don't know, I'm so um, disenchanted with our nations, with our nation right now. But um, the uh, I thought, well, you know, having it in Canada means you don't have to show the crappiness of the United States right now. <laughs> like, you could kind of get a little bit away from that because, honestly, we are past tense United States right now. Um, like, the way the United States is portrayed in past tense, uh, the Deep Space Nine episode, mm. that's kind of the reality of the United States right, na- right now, which is a little sad. And, you know, I, I, I hate that that episode was so bonk-bonk um, on the, mm. you know, totally on the nose twenty when it was filmed, what, 25 years ago or something. Um, or 30 years ago yeah it might be closer to 30 and speaking of older episodes of trek um i was trying to remember like did were there any references to older Trek episodes in here like i didn't really see so anything someone made some comment about um the the device that they were holding someone shared a picture on one of the threads i was on of um and they said something about Voyager. Like, yep. so was so there the a Voyager div- episode Relativity, which has the U.S. That- oh, time yeah, ship yeah, yeah. Relativity. Right. One of the maps that they show in that ship is mm-hmm. the map that this device displays. Yeah. And there was also like the palm, the thing that they were holding in their hands that has the red and the green, like it turns yeah. green or turns red. There was something that had a, like something similar, I feel like, that might have been in Voyager as well. I'm not sure. Uh, Just based on what someone had written about it. But um, I'm trying to think if there were any other. I mean, I felt like this definitely had, um, while it might not have had a direct reference to original series, it definitely had um, shades of um, City on the Edge of Forever in the, like, the Edith Keeler has to die, like, because mm. if she doesn't die, then Hitler gets even more power and wins right. the war and all this stuff. And now in this sense, I mean, it's a little... It's, it's, you know, the good person has to die in sitting on the edge of forever in order for the quote unquote bad person to ultimately be defeated. And in this one, 
they have to just let the quote unquote bad person live into adulthood. And oh, well, how excited were you that they actually used a South Asian actor to play Khan? <laughs> I was yeah, like, I, yes, Notch and Rudy have got to be so excited. In, in a certain <laughs> way, I wish they'd used Benedict Cumberbatch to play a seven year old Khan because that would have been hilarious. I think that would have been, been like the best in joke in the world. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, there's some interesting stuff there, uh, which we'll get into when we get to the end of the episode, right. for sure. Um, I I think for me, this was this was very classic, like old school Trek. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's a it's a very like like this could be like a standalone short story, right? Of mm-hmm. sci-fi. It's not like for truly sure. Star Trek at all. And I really enjoyed that about or, or it's not uniquely Star Trek, because that's what the original series was. They would bring in like famous sci-fi writers to write episode one-off episodes and get these kind of cool like otherworldly storylines that get away from like the the inside baseball of star trek of like mm-hmm. the federation and its races and all this stuff it's more just about like science fiction and aliens right um and that's what i that's that that's and we get into that zone pretty quickly here where First of all, I should say, like, I think they spent a pretty huge amount of time on the Lan and Kirk dialogue before they actually got into the the real plot. Like, mm-hmm. the, the bridge blow up comes, like, halfway into this episode. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of character building, which tells you that this wasn't just about the sci-fi story. It was also very importantly about Lan's development as a character. Which is different from the original series because they weren't really worried about developing characters at all in the original series. So, um, but yeah, I, and so here's a question. Did you have any suspicion that Sarah was going to end up being, uh, not who we thought she was? Yes, I did. You did. Okay. See, I didn't, I just, I totally didn't. I don't know. I just, it just didn't occur they, to me. <laughs> this is, this is how like sometimes directors tip you off the way that they like focused on her yeah. when they asked when Lan asked for a camera. I was like, why this person? Like, right. why, why wasn't it just like, why didn't they just walk up to somebody whose back is to the camera and like take the camera? Like th- there were different right, choices right. that it could have been like the guy who the car was stole, stolen from. We barely mm-hmm. saw his face or anything. Right. Like you knew that guy wasn't going to probably show up again. Right. Right. Um, but so I had a suspicion. I was still surprised when she showed up, but like I was like, well, what's going on here? And yeah. and so just to catch folks up, like uh this is the 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 photographer lady that Kirk and Lan bump into at the bridge destruction site, and then she shows up after they've lost the the car chase. Uh they've lost the the people who stole the um bomb. And she kind of covers for Kirk. Um, so that he doesn't get arrested. Right, exactly. And then and I should have been tipped off there that she was able to come up with a, you know, with that elaborate, you know, <laughs> scheme yeah. for how she was able to get him off and have the police leave him. But um, I don't then, know, I just wasn't. But when her name was Sarah, I, oh, I did think when, because, so when I hear the name Sarah, I do not spell it S-E-R-A. I spell it S-A-R-A in my head mm-hmm. or S-A-R-A-H, either one. My sister spells it without an H. But, um, and so I was thinking, is this an homage to Sarah Silverman's character, or Sarah Silverman, mm. who played a character in, is it, it's Future's End, right? Is that Future's what that End, is? part yeah. one, part two, yeah, um, Voyager. In Voyager. So I thought, oh, I wonder if they named her that kind of as a nod to the Voyager episode that took place in their current time, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's actually, I did, I had made the link there. That's probably true. I think um, that's what, what diverted me, though. I think that's why I didn't think about her being a 
like a bad character quote unquote you know well when she started describing her like kooky alien abduction beliefs i was like what the hell is happening this is so strange yeah i i so i was i I think that the the writers did a good job of kind of throwing you off a little Mm -hmm. bit even if you did suspect uh that she was bad and there's all this like stuff happening between kirk and lan that's still distracting you like the conversation about the poutine so it really feels funny. like the episode is focusing on the two of them and then you don't really have to worry about anything else happening. Right. So you don't really see the kind of villain turn from Sarah. You're like, oh, these these G-men type folks who are like in their like black suburbans running away with debris, like creating nuclear reactors. They're going to be the real villains. You don't mm-hmm. expect it to be the freaking Romulans. <laughs> right, right. And, well, and yeah. I have to say, like, like that this is, like, deviating from that point, but I just want to mention, because this happened earlier in the episode, how on earth did Kurt get enough money for them to stay in the place that they stayed in? Like, that made me think they had to have just go lifted the keys off of somebody and stayed in someone's apartment or penthouse right, apartment right. rather than... <laughs> Being able to afford well, that. Well, Canada place. does have a crisis of uh, people from abroad buying apartments and not occupying them. So oh, well, may- there maybe there, maybe it was a backhanded <laughs> reference to that. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of internet conversation about how much money can you truly make playing chess, blah blah, etc. And I'm, um, I think I'm gonna invoke the bill directive and right. just be like, don't think too hard about this stuff. Exactly. exactly. Just en- enjoy the fact that they're eating hot dogs on the boardwalk and. Right. Kirk does what I would do at Costco and goes back for a second hot dog. Um, right. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I think the more unbelievable thing is the two of them walking around in a Canadian winter without a big, thick, like, buff- buffer jacket. But Yeah, uh, well, and that's what uh, uh, Christina Chong said. It was freezing. And there were, like, some scenes by the end of some of their scenes, they had, like, an inch of snow on their <laughs> because it started funny. snowing in the middle of it. And so they were having to work around that. And that's why, because I noticed in a few scenes, like it was snowing and then it wasn't snowing and there was no sign that it had been snowing. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure this is only like a couple minutes after whatever they we just saw them doing. <laughs> but <laughs> Continuity problems, yeah. Yeah, having to contend with the weather, but. So we discovered that there's a cold fusion reactor somewhere in toronto uh and they have to find it and they they need an engineer so laan remembers something that pelia told us in the initial sequence in this episode and decides to go find her i gotta say it would have been a lot easier if they could have just had pelia be like at the university of montreal right i think the most single most unbelievable thing in this whole thing was that they were able to cross the border without documents and someone Yes, someone who has crossed that exact border many times in car, like you can't bribe a border guard to get you across that border. Like you will, you will end up in a gulag, like in Canada, like a Canadian can- gulag. Yeah. Also, my personal opinion, Canadian border guards are some of the meanest I've encountered, and I've encountered a lot of border guards worldwide. Canadians are really? like some of the worst in my experience. Yes, Interesting. they are very, very mean to you. Uh, it's not fun. Anyway, so the point is, they go off to Vermont to find Pelia. And she isn't an engineer yet, (laughs) which I thought was pretty funny. She's like, an engineer? I'm in retail. (laughs) That's amazing. So that was pretty great. Um, And but that see, and Pelia's, Pelia's presence in this episode, I'm hoping can pay off later in the season. 
um, yeah. a little more. But anyway, we can talk about that later. But um, no, I thought I mean, I thought it was great to have her be in the episode. But I do agree it was a little um, far fetched. That was that was pretty far fetched that they were able to get to Vermont that quickly because it's not like they had transporters. If they had transporters, sure, they could have mm-hmm. done that. But that is not. And, and we were talking about a very truncated timeline like they did. They knew they did not have a lot of time. Uh-huh. And now, granted, I don't know how far uh, Vermont is from Toronto. So, but it's not as close as Montreal. Isn't Montreal? I mean, I I feel like it's eight Quebec hours. Quebec is closer than Ontario, hours. right? It's about right? Eight Ontario to nine is farther hours. than because you have to get through Quebec, also, right? Yeah, it's eight to nine yeah. hours between Toronto and, and where That's they were in Vermont. And That's so, what I thought. Yeah, if it was like Michigan, maybe, but <laughs> but you know, in a way, it was kind of a relief not to be like the Earth will blow up in twelve hours. We must like like right. it was kind of okay to be like, oh, it's going to be a few days. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when they show back up, we have the kissy scene, which was all sorts of crazy. Um, oh, you loved that. I know you love the romance. Of course I did. Of course I yes, did. Yes. Uh, they did yeah. have great chemistry, though. Mm-hmm. I thought. Mm-hmm. So that was good. And it made sense because of everything that we know about Kirk and his random like dalliances in the mm-hmm. original series. It kind of made sense that he'd be the one to kind of, you know, have this kind of okay like back in the day i think we were a little bit more okay with the idea that television characters had these like one-off flings and episodic shows i think these days we're like you know a little bit more like didn't this character like wouldn't this character like think about this other person ever again like right and so with kirk though we know that he's capable of that from previous canon i guess so it's like it made sense that he just go for it right um, well, and you can also see, I mean, Laon's also kind of let down her guard more with him than she has with a lot of other characters. So, you know. Yeah. And, it all and she starts, was eyeing him, you know, she was, yeah, she was yeah. watching him in the changing room and, it, and it while all he was starts, sleeping. It all starts with a little bit of shirtlessness and then your mind wanders and then you see see him sleeping <laughs> in the on a couch and then it's like <laughs> off to the races from there. Yeah, but then, of course, right when the kiss happens, then the watch glows and they know that they are near the place that they need to find. And then how far later? He's dead. (laughs) Yeah, that was I I did not see that coming, that they were going to kill Kirk. Yeah, I wonder if uh, Adelaide Kane, the actress who played Sarah, is going to get death threats like (laughs) Malcolm McDonald did. It's alternate universe Kirk, so it's okay. And we're gonna there be seeing go. we're gonna be seeing uh I, him again. How great season. would it have been if Sarah shot him and he fell off a catwalk? Like that would have been <laughs> glorious. Um it I would have really enjoyed that. Fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I actually don't have a problem with that Kirk death, but that's a story for another day. Uh yeah, I don't either. Th- this one was like just pew pew gone. And yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely not expected, which is good. I think it's great when they can use a character like that. And it, it mm-hmm. causes a lot of like knock on effects on, on like it's, it's the, it's the, I, I've talked about this when it comes to like Chapel and Spock, where it's like the tragedy is sometimes the best part of like a good love story mm-hmm. um, because it tugs at your heartstrings so much. So did we know before he died that she I can't remember when it was that they figured out she was able to get them in. Like, before, did she have before. to? Did she scan her hand yeah. before that? Before he got shot, or was it after? Yeah, she scanned, and that's when Sarah steps out and is like, "Right, right, okay, Take me yeah. inside." I just couldn't remember the order of things, but we don't see Khan's name until after Kirk dies. 
Correct. That's when we see Khan's Correct. name. Yeah. That, that's when they go in and they see Noonien sing on the wall and then Khan on the door. Did you? So how do you feel about um, the shifting of the eugenics wars and Khan's rise to power being shifting a few decades? So I, for the, one, don't care. But Technically, <laughs> this had already happened, right? Like, it's in Futures and they show up in what should be the middle of the eugenics right. wars and everything's fine. So some people's headcanon for that was it was actually taking place in the Middle East and Asia. So there would be people in Los Angeles who really just weren't paying any attention to what wars were happening in other parts of the world, which, you know, that is totally believable. Um, but uh, the um, I'm sorry, I'm not throwing shade at people in our country. Um, yeah, I am. So uh, but I. um I mean, at the end of the day, okay. I don't particularly care. Like, well, it's, and, it's, yeah, it's I, fine. It's just, I guess I'm just, I'm a little tired of going to the well of Khan Nooni and Singh. Right. I'm a little carned out. And right. I wouldn't mind if we could just like... Move away from Khan. Yeah. At the same time, though, to your point from earlier, and maybe this is a good way to, set, to jump into that, is it gave us a really good, like, would you kill Hitler moment. Right. Which was, which is very profound. And it was even deeper for Laan because she's actually related to this dude. Right, right. So, yes. Yeah, no, and I, I definitely, um, I mean, I, I, that's, and I, that's part of what made the ending of it more interesting. It wasn't, it wouldn't have been as interesting if it was just Khan. But it's because Laan is descended from Khan. That's what made it interesting. Um and so, uh, but then it's the the whole thought of like, so um, one of the things Travis and I were talking about was maybe this this is a way for, you know, so we're watching the this happened with last week's episode too, so you know we're watching these episodes with the knowledge of all of Star Trek around it because mm -hmm. we're Star Trek nerds, and so um, so we know what Khan does and what he's famous for and and how this all plays out, um. But, and we also know that things are okay at the end, at, when all said and done, like this horrific thing happens. It's a really dark period in Earth's history, mm -hmm. but that's not the end of Earth's story. And so uh, Travis was saying that, you know, that in a way that's also the Trek creators telling us, the audience, it feels like we're in the midst of something bleak right now. And things feel kind of dark and feel kind of hopeless at times. But this isn't where the story ends. The story doesn't end with this bleakness. There's something better that comes. So sometimes we just have to go through that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not that going through it is what makes it better. But it's just n having the knowledge that the that bleakness isn't the end. Like that's not the end of the story. And there can be there can be hope and and goodness after. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it also it also forces us to kind of, on a much higher level, just like it forces us to think about the the needs of the many question again, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you what do you need to to do when you need to do what's right, even though it conflicts with your own interests? Mm -hmm. How do you navigate that question? And mm -hmm. I think Star Trek has over and over said like you need to the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And I think this was another moment of 
reiterating that and so yeah it's compelling i think it also adds a layer to, of complexity to lan's character which gets amplified when she heads back to uh the proper timeline but do you think that laan actually is the one who created the murderous con because she left her gun or left the gun in his room <laughs> and so then what happened right after she left is Khan found that gun and went and killed the people who were doing experiments on them and then they... you know i mean it, it's a very literal Chekhov's gun but like that that's that's quite likely i wouldn't put it past these writers i really hope that's not what happens but like you never know um uh, yeah. Uh, I think, like, it is interesting, though, you were referencing the scene that comes later with her kind of talking to Kirk. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a very powerful scene um, mm-hmm. because it's so simple and it, there's so much that goes unsaid under the, mm-hmm. under the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed it, too. And But then you also have this moment with the, the time cop. Right. We see the time police for the first time since uh, Voyager. Well... We saw women enterprise too, yeah. so but slightly different. I so what I found interesting there were there were two things. The first thing is there was the illusion at the, so we didn't talk about this, but there's that um, scene um, in the beginning of the episode where she's sparring with Mbenga, mm-hmm. and he's telling her like you know you need to talk about the things that you're going through and you know that's going to help you process some of the experiences that you've had and it's really important to talk about it. Um, and then here at the end, I feel like she wants to talk to somebody about what just happened. Mm, yeah. And she yeah. is told that she cannot talk about this to anybody. But then I'm also wondering why. Why can't she talk about it to anybody? In some Because those things have happened. Like, it's not going to change. But I guess from the time cop's perspective, it does. It could change the time cop's future. Right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, timey yeah, warning makes my it, head exactly, <laughs> exactly. Just just like Janeway. Um, yep. <laughs> I think I think I think the but you're exactly right. Like she reaches out to Kirk to be like, I've spent the last four days one on one with you telling you all of my feelings like, mm-hmm. you know, anything that pops in my head, I've been telling you. So she was like, who can I turn to? And it's him. And, and that's why I think it would be nice to have Pelia that have a payoff to her seeing Pelia because mm-hmm. I think there could be a good conversation there. Um, it just, I, I think they can both illuminate things for one another. Um, so I don't know. I was kind of hoping, I'm like, oh, they planted that seed so she could have someone that she could talk with about this maybe. You know, she could find out, how is it that you became an engineer? And and mm-hmm. Pelia could be like, so what happened with that? You know, and you, you know, I don't know. I just thought that could be an interesting way to play that. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be interesting to see because Pelia gave her kind of a little bit of a look, but not, you know, a, there wasn't anything in there that I could read specifically. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to see like how they, how they do it. Um, I think the, maybe the only thing that we haven't otherwise talked about is maybe the dialogue in here, which sometimes on Star Trek, has two characters just talking to each other about their pasts and their feelings. It can sound a little stilted and weird. Mm-hmm. And this was not that. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought, I never found myself being like, ugh, the writing throughout this episode. I was constantly just focused on the plot, which is mm-hmm. really good. I think, so, mm-hmm. and especially in these time travel episodes, there can be a lot of like, well, in ancient history, they had this thing called a truck 
and mm-hmm. like you know they, they, they have this dumb like very star trekky stuff which can be fun don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but this episode had a minimum of that like right. only, the only maybe the only thing that was the the money piece that they right. that they talked they about a couple times <clears throat> yeah but other than that it was really just like normal human beings kind of relating to one another which i really mm-hmm. enjoyed mm-hmm. yeah no i thought that was good too any other pieces of this episode you want to talk about before we give it a rating well, you know, I thought something I thought would be interesting, and I know they basically made it so that this can't happen, but I thought it would be interesting if Laan could talk with Pike about it because Pike is someone mm. who knows something that's going to happen in his future. And it's essentially a life ending thing for him, at least life as he knows it. Um, and and he's had that struggle with wanting to change uh, that future um, but knowing he can't change that future and has also had the experience of what would happen if he did change that future um, and and how that could be detrimental, like just the the effects of that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just thought that could be a really mm-hmm. interesting um, way for them to connect. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I think I think they'll. They have some smart writers in that writer's mm-hmm. room. I think they'll find a way to kind of make this work. Also, I mean. The thing that is is there about like using characters like Kirk is that you can't have them form enduring bonds with these people, right? Like Lan and Kirk can't actually fall in love. Right. So it leaves the door open for those things to happen. I'm not talking about the love part, but the enduring bonds part with like people within the cast who are new character, net new characters. And I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um Especially seeing how they evolve now, Lan's character. Now they've like kind of broken her open a little bit. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. All right. Well, Emily, you had mentioned earlier you didn't know how to rate this episode. Do you want to stick your neck out and give it a strange U rating first, or do you want me to go first? I think I'm so generous with Strange New Worlds, but I do like Strange New Worlds. I think I'm going to give it a four out of five because I. Cause I'm trying. That's what I gave the first episode of the mm-hmm. season, and I did this conversation. I mean, or this episode sparked a lot of conversation, and so I found. I think that's that's good. That's good Star Trek. So yeah, I'm gonna go with four out of five. So I don't think this is gonna be an episode where I'm like, oh my god, do you remember when? Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I will, at least. So I, I think that's the ca- the the bar from either nine or ten. It has to be like, right, really like one of those like you really bring it up. But yeah. I did think this episode was really good, and I really enjoyed it a lot. Like throughout the whole thing, I was like, I want to keep watching this. Mm-hmm. And so it's an eight and a half out of ten for me. It kind of almost hit that like super good bar for me. Uh, mm-hmm. But I talked myself down a little bit. And yeah, I just continue to be bored over by Strange New Worlds. What a great show. It what is a great a good show. show. Uh, good. Which means probably Paramount Plus is going to cancel it and sell it off next week. Paramount Plus sucks. Seriously. I wish uh, that I didn't have to keep giving them my money in order to watch these shows. It sucks. They make me mad. It's it's so stupid. And yeah, uh, the, their treatment of Prodigy has been kind of, not kind of, it's been really lame. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, well, 
thanks Emily for coming and talking about this. Hopefully our fellow co-hosts one day will decide to also join us <laughs> so that, as well. Uh, thanks, Satch. It was a good time. Yeah, of course. Adam, Rudy, and Bill, hopefully y'all are having a great time, whatever it is y'all are doing. And thank you, dear listener, for making time for us in your week as usual. And thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. Uh, special thanks this week to whoever designed cars, because apparently they're like super easy to drive. You've never seen one before. You get into it, like turn it on, like boom, you're like in a chase. Not even right. in a chase, you're able to like do like reverse, like wheelies, drift and all this other stuff. It's fantastic. <laughs> cars, man, so easy. Why do we even have licenses? It makes no sense. All right. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye.